This episode of Manage Smarter is presented by Sales Fuel Coach, our adaptive sales coaching featuring five-minute quick coaching personalized to each sales rep. Learn more about Sales Fuel Coach at salesfuel.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Well, Lee, today we want to talk about indecision, indecision being the enemy, according to our guest, Phil Jones. Hi, Phil. Thanks for coming. Hey, pleasure for having me on the show. Welcome to Manage Smarter, everyone. I'm Audrey Strong. I'm the Vice President of Communications here at SalesFuel. And boy, have we got a great discussion for you today. And I'm C. Lee Smith, the President and CEO of SalesFuel. And I detect a bit of a British accent. Yes, that would be true. I'm not putting it on. This is a real accent. (laughs) Well, I've enjoyed reading your books, Phil Jones. And for everybody who isn't familiar with you, Phil Jones, a best-selling author of exactly what to say, exactly how to sell, and exactly where to start. He had his first business at just 14 years of age and is the youngest recipient of the British Excellence in Sales and Marketing Award. To date, more than 2 million people across 57 different countries have benefited from his lessons, and you are going to as well today. And as a result, they know how, what to say, when to say it, and how to make more of the conversations count. Phil, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So this idea of indecision being the enemy, it sort of um, wings its way into every aspect of business life, don't you think? Is It's kind of a, a problem across many different buckets. Yeah, I think it's a problem everywhere, right? It's a problem within your potential customer base who are stuck in a position of maybe. There are leaders who are stood on the fence of like, do I go all in on this or do I hold back? And this this position of not deciding or committing or fully moving forward with something, it slows people down. It's almost a point of friction. Mm-hmm. And without actually creating a decision towards I'm all in or I'm all out, then it's creating huge inefficiencies, whether it's in a leadership process, a sales process or anywhere in between. How would you help managers then become more all in or all out? I I think it's less about them being all in and all out, but the people they're looking to communicate with is Hmm. what is that individual going to go on to be able to do? You see many leaders in organizations make suggestions or recommendations for changes in behavior, or you see them ask for a, a new vision to be employed or a new set of actions to be able to be employed. But what they don't always get is the buy-in of that other person. So they find themselves in situations like, I I, I told you this before, or or, we've talked about this in the past, or, you know, why are we going over this thing again? And it's because the other person wasn't fundamentally bought in. Well, is it because they weren't bought in because they chose not to be bought in, that that they weren't given the rationale or the benefits of buying in? Or was it because the leader, the manager, was being indecisive? It could be both. It could be both. I think you know, sometimes that you find that the leader is, is being flirtatious with an idea or an action as opposed to being decisive, and they're hoping the other person picks it and runs with it, and then they don't need to take more responsibility for the, for the outcomes of that themselves. Um, but more often than not, I would probably say it's, it's because they didn't get that full commitment from the other person. That makes sense. You've got some questions that people should ask themselves to remove the friction and get things moving along. You want to rattle some of those off for our listeners? Yeah, I, I think there's lots that we can look at. But before we get towards those key questions, is it's understanding that it is a question that creates that clarity position. Mm-hmm. Is It's having the other person see what you're saying as opposed to hear what you're saying. 
and I want you to catch the nuance in that, is, is mm. hearing what somebody says means it kind of came in at one level of, of, uh, of knowledge and it can also bounce straight back off again. Seeing what somebody is saying means that what you've done is you've created empathy in that scenario. You've stood and looked at it from another perspective and therefore you've then accepted what that other person is going on to be able to say. So a big difference in that. So why don't you throw some scenarios at me and say, hey, if you were in this situation, how could you better get somebody to see what you're saying as opposed to hear what you're saying? Yeah, there is a big difference. And then you so ask let's yourself. Say, yes, I, have a, I, have a, I have an employee then that keeps coming in late and uh, doesn't follow the, the rules for, uh, <laughs> for, for coming in late. Okay. So you've got two options, right? You can reprimand, you can say, here are the consequences, or you could actually get them to better see things differently. So you could say it's unacceptable. You could say that what you've got is that you've got a set of rules and procedures, or you could ask the question and say, what kind of impact do you think it has on our organization by you continually arriving 15 minutes later than planned? Hmm. Interesting. That's a good way of going at it. Yeah. All right. What do you got, Audrey? Oh gosh, I'm trying to think of something. I, somebody who's a stickler for, um, Project management, I'm a monster on project management. So when people aren't hitting certain benchmarks and deadlines, it just makes me crazy. So how would I tackle okay. that? So when we set out on this plan in order to be able to uh, fulfill on this promise um, of this project, we all agreed dates and deadlines and checkpoints that we would have certain things done by. What I'm struggling to be able to understand is how the, um, we're now at a point where we're past some of those deadlines. And as I rely on you delivering to your part of the project, I'm finding out that, that your part hasn't been completed to the level that was agreed. I'm wondering what's happened or what we failed to communicate in that scenario that means that we're now in a situation where we're letting other people down. I love right, it because so it puts them in the lens of understanding your, your point of view and the seat that you're sitting in. And it forces them to be empathetic and maybe step up. And what it also does is it leaves us in a conversation that is firmly in a shade of gray. It is not saying that there is a black and a white scenario. It's allowing the other person to save an element of space if there is a reason. It's giving them the mild benefit of the doubt that says there could be some form of catastrophic scenario here that prevented them delivering on their promise. We don't believe there to be, but we're leaving two, three, four percent in our shades of, uh, you know, in our shades of gray to give them the position to step up. We call that wiggle room. <laughs> mm, just a touch of it, just a touch of it, right? That's right. So I think we, we, we can go with one more example as well mm -hmm. on this, okay. which is, is a very clear and easy way to be able to ask somebody to be empathetic. And all it is is lifting a sequence of words from, uh, from my book, Exactly What to Say, and it's the preface of the question, how would you feel it? Yes. So how would you feel if you were in my shoes right now? How would you feel if you were responsible for leading this, process, this project and that, and that some of the people that were responsible for key components hadn't delivered on their part? How would you feel if that you were looking to be able to lead a team and that one of your team members was continually showing up late? How would you feel if you were in my shoes? So I would, let me just throw another one at you. So let's say that corporate comes down with this really unrealistic expectation, whether it's a sales goal or productivity goal or something like that. And... Um, you know, you have to coach or manage somebody then who's, who's not bought in, who thinks it's unrealistic, who's speaking out against it and not, not, deliver, not performing to the level that corporate expects them to deliver to. Okay. That's a difficult spot for a manager to be in. Yeah, so this is a manager looking to be able to improve the performance of a team member. First thing I want for this scenario is does the manager believe that the targets and expectations from corporate are realistic? Mm. Chances are not. <laughs> okay. 
So I think this is something that we then have to tackle, right? Is, is are we asking us that we've got the employee doesn't believe what you believe as the, as the leader, or are we in a situation where what we're looking to be able to do is to say that we've all got a job to do? They're two very different things. And I think what we should be able to look to be able to do is that if it's that latter that you've just presented it as, is I think we need to bring empathy with us and the person we're looking to be able to lead and put ourselves on the same side. Hmm. We're going to do this with a polite opening, a mutually agreeable fact, and then what we're going to be able to do is we're going to deliver a question on the end of that. So, you know, the polite opening to this conversation would be, you know, is the... Um, you understand that I have the responsibility of being able to lead you and everybody else in your position in this given role. The fact of the matter is, is that we've been given these targets to be able to achieve via our corporation, our leaders, and we have stakeholders in order to be able to be responsible and accountable. Mm -hmm. So what I've done is I've come and created some mutually agreeable facts there. The question that I'm then going to ask is do I have your commitment that you're at least going to try your best towards achieving as much as we possibly can towards these targets? I love the structure of that. I mean, it's simple, and but you're, you, you're creating an expectation of a certain type of answer that hopefully you'll get. <laughs> well, we're, we're, going to get, we're going to get an answer we can work with, right? Either yeah, yes, I'm know. committed to be able to give this a go, or no, it's unrealistic. I can't be prepared to work under this kind of pressure. Well, so what would the follow-up questions be? So you get an answer from them. It's like, I mean, and I know in, in your, one of your books or whatever, you, you have a list of, of some really uh, short follow-up questions that pretty much you can apply to most situations. I think that that might be apropos here. Okay. So let's just say that, like, like give, give me the version back. You be the employee and we'll see where we take this. Hmm. Uh, yeah. I just don't think the corporate understands, you know, what it's like then, you know, to, to be, you know, at, at this level performing this role. There's no way that I'm going to be able to get X, Y, and Z done by, by next Thursday. Okay. And when you say that there's no way that you would be able to do that, how certain are you that everybody else in the organization agrees with you? Well, I know I talked to Susie at the water cooler or whatever, and she feels the same way. And I'm pretty sure that most people on, on, on the floor, you know, will agree with me. Okay. And the question I ask you is how certain are you that everybody would go about it that way around? Now, this, this is very good lawyering on your part. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm asking them to see that what there is, is that there's an mm. opportunity that there are some people who are out there actually doing the work right now. Mm -hmm. So what do you think the difference is between the person that's out there and actually putting their effort and energy into supporting the conversations with their customers to be able to help achieve this number versus the people that are having the conversations at the water cooler? What's the better use of time? <laughs> Not right. the water cooler. Mm -hmm. Right. And all I'm looking to be able to do is to ask questions so they can see what I'm saying. Right. Is if I'm saying to them, look, if you just spent more time out speaking to other people than you did gossiping with people out of the water cooler, then what you'll be doing is you'll be getting closer towards that target. Now what I am is I'm aggressive. Now what I'm doing is I'm creating a defense in that other person because their little voice inside their head is saying, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but mm -hmm. Susie said, yeah, but like, what about this? And yeah, but well, like, I've got the biggest territory. Or yeah, but like, like we maxed out last year, so I can't get the headroom in it. And all these excuses come. The second I talk in terms of questions, I can never get it wrong. Because if they don't see what I'm saying the first time around, I get 15 more ghosts. And you maintain control of the conversation by asking questions. You betcha. I think it's uh, interesting how a lot of people always see um, 
metrics that seem ambitious as a negative as opposed to a massive opportunity to shine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, think I don't know why. We, yeah, why are we all wired that way? Well, I think everybody wishes it was easier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it comes down to is that we wish it was easier until it comes to the point where there's recognition. Mm-hmm. Then when there's recognition for achieving success, we wish it was really harder now that we're the other side of the work. Because then what we would achieve is a higher level of recognition. So how do you use that psychology in these types of conversations? What you end up doing is that you use that to throw down a challenge with people. Mm-hmm. So let's just put this into perspective. Is how would you feel if that you were one of the few that actually went out and achieved these targets? Like a rock star. Mm-hmm. Ah. And answer me this, is, is how many other areas of your life do you feel like a rock star in? Yeah, uh, well, that's a whole other story <laughs> for another day. Just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> but you see, right. the humor that can come from that too starts to break the ice in a conversation. Mm-hmm. What we can mm-hmm. then say is, so like, like, like you know, what better opportunity have you got to shine? We've got two thirds of the company saying that this isn't possible. We've got a third of the company that's saying that they think they give it their best shot. Which percentage of the company do you want to land? In? Mm-hmm. That's great. So great it's asking techniques. questions that kind of flip the switch from uh, stop wishing that it was easier and start wishing you were better. Yeah. And what we should be looking to be able to do is, is to ask the other person to choose. The yeah. great leaders on this world are brilliant at asking questions. They mm. give way less advice than people think that they need to give. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that many leaders make, particularly when they're in middle management roles or they're new to leadership or they're aspiring, is, is they need to be seen as the hero. Mm. And the trouble is, if you're the hero, everybody else you're looking to influence isn't. The responsibility of a great manager isn't necessarily to be the hero, it's perhaps to be the guide. And I was having this conversation with somebody the other day, trying to get them to see what I'm saying. I asked them the question. I'm going to ask the same question of you right now. Have you seen any of the Harry Potter movies? Sure. So Harry Potter books, Harry Potter movies. There's a huge leadership lesson within those books. The mistake that almost everybody looks to be able to make is that they think of themselves as the hero. Now, Harry Potter is the hero. Let's just think if the manager wants to be Harry Potter, that's them trying to be able to take the hero status. What they should really be looking to be is they should be looking to be Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, whatever their product is or whatever their project is or whatever the outcome they're looking for, that's the wand. Mm-hmm. So the product or the opportunity or the project becomes the tool to help be able to achieve it. The person you're looking to be able to lead is truly the hero in this story. And your responsibility as their leader is that you are the guide. You are not looking to be able to take the applause. You look to be able to achieve the applause that comes later once the hero completes the mission. And you win by the second proxy applause as opposed to the hero moment. And that's how a leader gets to jump from one position, not just to the next position, but go on to be able to find themselves in huge positions of leadership because they're responsible for the result and the outcome and the thing that's bigger than the moment. Yeah, I, I know, Audrey. I'm having a craving right now for some chocolate frogs. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And isn't that part of what you say when you say in your book that you should plan your victories? So it's almost like you, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and you can make your critical back path backward from that day, like you said. You bet. Yeah, we talk about this in exactly where to start is how what you can do is you can plan mm-hmm. those victories out ahead of time. In doing so, you, you know where your new milestones are. Too many people in corporate roles, they let the corporation decide where the milestones are. 
there's nothing that says you can't create your own ones that are either in line with that or perhaps even past that and then put your little celebrations on those. And what I've learned to be true from the thousands of organizations that I've worked with through the years is the people who set their own standards that go on to achieve excellence, not the ones that continually surpass the standards that are set by their employer. Yeah, I think that the, the revelation for me is, I love what you're saying in that you said, let the employee that you're coaching up realize that there's a, that, that he or she has a choice. But when you're given these metrics from the top down, from the mothership, it, it always used to feel at least to me like it doesn't well, feel like a choice it right? doesn't feel like a choice but what i think is wonderful that you're saying it absolutely is a choice mm-hmm. you can 100 percent choose how you want to go and approach that reality right there's thousands of the things that in this world that we cannot control but what we can control is how we feel about it how we think about it and what we do because of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. co-control your controllables which is another phrase i love from your book thank you thank you yeah you offer some advice on on asking for uh Targeted feedback. I think that's an, that's an area then too, is like when, when we uh, have that indecision, you know, maybe we're concerned about what feedback or what pushback we're going to get by making that decision. So uh, shed some light on that for me. Yeah, give me some context again and let's see if we can jam it out in real time and give people some more precise responses. Well, in your book, I'm reading like, instead of asking, what do you think I should do? Ask, what would you do if you were in my shoes? You kind of, you know, you, you kind of touched on that one a little bit. Yeah. as well or instead of asking you know how much should i ch- should i charge you say uh what have you seen others with my experience charge correct correct and what we're really looking at in these situations is is that when you're asking for advice from others is to create this gray space again where what they can do is they can feed new data into the scenario without you ever telling somebody that they are wrong mm-hmm. if i say to you what do you think i should charge and you give me a number i don't like the answer to now, all of a sudden, we've created a conflict scenario. We've created a piece of indecision. If I say, what have you seen other people charge for similar types of services? Then what I get is I get some data back in that is useful truth for us mm-hmm. to be able to have a more expanded conversation from. When you say, what do you think I should do? What you're asking somebody to do is to project their opinion on you in its entirety. And then if you don't like the opinion, and again, we've got a conflict scenario. If we say, if you were in my shoes, what would you do by alternative? then what we've got is we've got them having the permission to actually be able to say what they would do, which is really them telling you what they think you should do, but with enough gray space in it again, that you can accept all of it, some of it or none of it without any loss of friction or any loss of momentum in the conversation. That's fantastic. I'm going to be asking a lot of questions from now on, Lee, when you talk to me or ask me a question, I may ask you answer with another question. Seems uh, like- there's no harm in that as long as what you're being is you're looking for further clarity yes, mm-hmm. as opposed to being evasive. We're annoying. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Phil, we've got a couple minutes left. Everybody, it's philmjones.com. Your Twitter, philmjonesuk. I know you have a lot of clients. You work with a lot of people. How would you like people to reach out to you uh, from our audience if they want to engage with you, Phil? Yeah, I, I think if they want to just join the conversation, they've enjoyed what they've listened to, come find me on, on Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn. If you can't find me through a simple search, I'm doing a lot of things wrong. Um, but yeah, <laughs> find me via the website at philmjones.com. And, um, and then, yeah, we'd love to be able to continue the conversation. From there. And we love the books. They're so great. It's such an enjoyable read, easy to read and retain the information. I really loved, I appreciated you sending us sample copies. That was so, very nice. Yeah. Great. Thanks, short read, 
little books you don't have to spend. You know, it's not like it's not like a Harry Potter book or, or anything like that. <laughs> Five thousand nice, nice quick read. You, you know, read it on on the train. You know, there and back, you're done. It's great. Thanks, Phil. Well, we appreciate you being on the show. And if you enjoyed our conversation with Phil, please give us a rating and subscribe and review. Five stars for Phil, please, and our little team here. We certainly appreciate it, and we thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.